This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Work Talk. I'm Chris Bu. In this episode, we are going to talk about technology that, like generative artificial intelligence, is going to change the way we do many things. This technology is quantum computing. And because this is Work Talk, a podcast about working smarter and getting ahead, we're going to talk about its impact on business, jobs and job opportunities. But first, what is quantum computing? And how is it different from how our computers work now? Let's hear from Dr. Paul Griffin, an Associate Professor of Information Systems at the Singapore Management University. Okay, so I think this is what I kind of call a transformative technology because we're changing the very basis of how we manipulate or calculate information. So with our current computers, which we're using right now, we have bits, which is a one and a zero, and they're either one or zero. You can't have anything else. And they've been engineered over the decades to be very precisely one or zero down to 10 to minus 27 or something. So the error is very small. With quantum, we we change that fundamental unit of information to be a qubit. And now a qubit can be both one and zero at the same time with the varying probabilities. They can also, those those states can also be in or out of phase, like waves being in or out of phase, constructively or destructively interfering. What Dr. Griffin is explaining here is one way that quantum computers differ from the classical computers that we use. That is... They use qubits instead of bits to store and process information. Qubits can exist simultaneously in multiple states, as Dr. Griffin described as being both 1 and 0 at the same time. That allows quantum computers to perform calculations in parallel, making them much faster than classical computers. But there's more. And also we have the strange things called entanglement, which nobody understands, but everyone's got their opinion. It seems to be fundamental to the way the whole universe is working. So, when two qubits are entangled, even if you separate them, you'll get the same result if you measure a property of both. What that means is that one qubit depends on the state of the other, no matter how far apart they are. This is what science fiction, such as time travel, and having two of you in two different places is based on. But like what Dr. Griffin says, nobody really understands how it works. What you need to know, however, is that entanglement allows quantum computers to perform calculations differently from classical computers. So if you have one qubit, you've got two possibilities. If you've got two qubits, you've got four possibilities. If you've got a hundred qubits, now you're getting to a number of possibilities as the number of atoms in the whole of the universe. So you can manipulate this enormous amount of information in parallel, kind of at the same time by by tweaking these qubits and affecting this huge amount of space, which gives it the power and also makes it very, you know, kind of very difficult to kind of uh, create these these algorithms which are going to use the calculations. So if quantum computing is going to be a super version of the computers we have today, what is it going to be used for? Here's Dr. Scott Crowder from a company that is at the forefront of quantum computing. Dr. Crowder is Vice President for IBM Quantum Adoption and Business Development. And he's going to explain what IBM is trying to do with the technology. 
So at IBM, we build quantum computers. Uh, we build the software stack that makes it easier for people to use quantum computers and adopt it. Uh, and then we spend a lot of emphasis on helping education and adoption of quantum computing. Um, and we're partnering with institutions around the globe, both you know, academic institutions like SMU, like NUS in Singapore, but around the globe, both industry and academic and research institutions to help provide them quantum computers that they can do their, their work with, uh, but also to help them do workforce development and education and things like that. Over the past years, IBM has been exploring with businesses and researchers to advance the day that quantum algorithms might help humans discover new drugs and materials, optimize routes for shipping, and predict the weather. It is also trying to simulate what actually goes on inside the battery of an electric Mercedes-Benz car. Isn't that cool? Yes, the chemical reactions that go on inside batteries are actually quite mysterious. All this is work in progress. But last year, in 2023, IBM made a breakthrough announcement. So we actually had, I, I, I would say, three breakthroughs. The first was quantum computers have been rapidly evolving over the last eight years or so. Like they didn't really even exist as something that someone could really use if they didn't build one themselves until about 2016. And then they've gone from five qubits back in 2016 to a thousand qubits that we kind of announced, you know, at the end of last year. So huge amount of, of growth and scale. So in the middle of last year, um, we put out a paper at Nature that said, we think we just computed something on a quantum computer uh, that there's actually value of doing it on a quantum computer. So it's like better than what you could do with a classical simulator, or there's an advantage to running it on a quantum computer. So that was the first breakthrough. The, the second breakthrough was advances in scaling. Uh, we built a processor that has a different gate architecture that allows the quality of the calculation to improve by a factor of five. Um, so it was the second kind of major kind of breakthrough. And then the third breakthrough is we came up with a new way of doing better error correction, which means you can basically back out the errors in the calculation more effectively. So based on all those breakthroughs, we just re-announced a roadmap of what we're going to deliver year by year by year. You know, by the end of this decade, we're going to have the first wave of error correction, so you can run millions of instructions, uh, and then by 2033, billions of instructions on that quantum computer. So, what IBM announced was that it had developed its quantum technology to become more practically useful, scalable, and more reliable. Does that mean we are closer to using quantum computers in everyday business than we think? The, the way to think about it is, we're building bigger and bigger computers that are, can do more and more complex things. At the same time, people you know, doing algorithmic work are learning you know, how they can improve their algorithms. And the question is when those two meet for a particular use case. Like the language models in Gen AI, we do not need to think of supersized computers or data sets when we talk about quantum computing. Rather, we should be thinking of right-sized machines to solve real-life problems for businesses. Dr. Griffin, who is teaching computing scientists on using quantum algorithms in financial services, believes it will simply be an extension of how we are using computers today. I think uh, we shouldn't be thinking of quantum computing replacing classical. Quantum computing will, will be alongside classical, because we live in a classical world. All our numbers are classical. We 
we type, we see things, it's all kind of classical. So we, until we can kind of plug a computer directly into our brain and if our brain is quantum, which is another debate, then until that point in time, then we're going to, we will be using classical to input data, to analyze data coming out. Uh, so it's best, I think, to think in terms more like a, a graphics processor, like a GPU. All our computers now, especially if you're a gamer, you'll be very aware about how necessary having a graphics processor is on your computer to do all the fancy graphics. So we have our CPU, which is our normal computer that we use on a daily basis. We have GPUs for accelerating graphics, so we can watch movies, we can play games. Then we'll have a GPU, a quantum processing unit, which will do all the stuff that quantum is good at. So, if we're going to use CPUs or central processing units for normal computing like sending emails, GPUs for AI or gaming, what will we use QPUs for? Definitely not to solve the 1 plus 1 equals 2 types of problems, said Dr. Griffin. The best way to think about what type of problems that quantum computers can solve I will say is, is a, like I hinted at it earlier, is a probabilistic, non-deterministic, maybe it's going to rain tomorrow, 20% chance. You know, those sort of problems where you're looking at manufacturing, where you're looking at weather forecasting, finance has a, has a huge amount of, of areas like option pricing, forecasting models, portfolio optimization. Uh, optimization is a probabilistic, machine learning is, is probabilistic as well. So all these areas, anyone who's using machine learning now could start to look at quantum machine learning. Dr. Griffin agrees with Dr. Crowder that companies might be running quantum algorithms or solutions as early as 2029. But just like Gen AI, adoption needs preparation. So in the stage of how do we take these practically shown advantages in, in quantum computing and take them into a real environment, uh, so you've got the data loading, then you've got the analysis as well. So quantum computers with this large you know, a solution space could, could, could give you, you know, billions and billions of solutions. How do you sort through that? How do you analyse the output as well? Then, there's the concern over security and trust, even possible bias. And then, of course, you know, when you say using production systems, then you bring in the whole aspect of uh, data protection, unless you buy your own quantum computing, which at the moment, for you know, a decent-sized quantum computer is out of the pockets of probably mo- most companies. So if you're going to use a cloud quantum computer, how do you make sure your data is safe, you know, stays private, going up to the cloud or coming back from the cloud? Also, you may have IP in your algorithms as well. If you're using quantum computing to get a competitive advantage over, over your competitors, then maybe you don't want your special quantum circuits to be you know, visible to a service provider. So there's those considerations. And of course, when you start using production, particularly in regulated industries like finance, you've got to consider the regulators maybe knocking on the door saying, explain this, and you've got to be able to explain how the quantum algorithm works, why you're rejecting someone's loan because a quantum computer says so. Today, we're just beginning to understand the benefits of quantum computing and what we need to do to make it part of business processes. But if it sounds rather similar to how companies today are figuring out Gen AI, it probably will be. Gen AI's breakout moment in 2022 took many by surprise by how good it was and how fast the machine taught itself to become better. With the benefit of experience, might we be better prepared when quantum computing arrives? I asked our experts how ready Singapore is for the quantum revolution. 
When you think about building quantum computers, that takes a huge amount of capital. That I think is more challenging. But in terms of leveraging the technology to drive innovation, I think Singapore is near the top. Well, I see Singapore. I, mean, I think we have a great sort of head start anyway, because we've had the center of quantum technologies around for over 10 years. We've got some great people here who know all about the, the hardware side, the software side. How do we compare with other countries? It means it's hard to compare because I mean, different countries have their different expertise, as it were. I mean, uh, Australia has a good sort of silicon base of quantum computing research. Canada has a D-Wave in either, so different types. So I think it's not kind of a competitive space of everyone trying to do the same thing. Everyone is doing their own thing and we're seeing how it all kind of works or what even works together. Some problems, I think, are best suited to superconducting computers. Some problems are best suited to iron-based. So we don't need to compete at the moment, I think. We need to work, work together and all bring the whole of industry and knowledge up to uh, you know, getting better points. I asked Dr Griffin why Singapore should be trying to get ahead in the game. Why can't we be a late harvester and reap the fruits after others have ploughed the land? I think it's very dangerous to be a late adopter because if somebody does come up with a you know, a million qubit quantum computer tomorrow, we've got to know what we're going to do with it and, and need to explore what it can do, what it can't do, how to actually use it now on the smaller scale and as it scales up. Then when we get our super fault tolerant, you know, can do anything quantum computer, we'll know exactly how to use it and we'll have everything ready to plug in and off we go and solve all the world's problems. So, what do executives need to know about quantum computing now? I asked Dr. Crowder. Two things that they need to know pretty much now is one, just at a high level, what kinds of things will quantum computing potentially disrupt your, your industry with? Like, do I need to start doing stuff now because it's potentially extremely disruptive, like a lot of like huge positive possibilities, or is it something that I want to be a fast follower on? And then for the ones who make the decision of like, this is large enough of a potential impact for, for my company, then they need to think about like, how do I invest in a small team to look at, explore this more deeply? You know, how do I partner with local partners, uh, university systems or the government agencies or whatever, to get a better understanding of it um, and build my skills? The second is the cryptographic element. People need to start thinking about it now. When the day comes that quantum computing becomes generally available to businesses, it will too become a tool for hackers. The National Institute of Standards and Technology in the United States are expected to enact security standards this year to help organizations prepare for it, said Dr. Crowder. And that's going to really start the clock around the world and people starting to think about, okay, I need to update these things. So it's understanding that and understanding how am I going to find all the cryptography that I have, et cetera, et cetera. It seems like it's far off, you know, because it might be another decade before we get to have quantum computers that are large enough to be cryptographically relevant. But this transition is going to take a long time. Will the quantum age put us all out of jobs? So I see kind of you know, increasing the job market and certainly increasing the skill level of the people in the jobs. Let's say more in terms of people upskilling so they'll be able to can use quantum computing later. So, like I say, the machine learning people now, if they start to get into quantum computing, when quantum computing has that power to be able to 
use bigger models, etc., then they can exploit their knowledge, exploit quantum computers to actually, to, to actually do their job better. Uh, I think IBM are now having new, sort of new job roles for quantum data scientists, so training up people who are doing their current job, but extending them into the quantum world so, so they can do their job better. So, I suppose that you are already a computing risk kid training to be an AI specialist, and you also become a quantum expert. You, you'll be king of the world. For the rest of us, is there hope? Anyone who's doing a job that involves something that's not just one plus one equals two could actually you know, look at, uh, at how quantum computing and how quantum computing behaves could be used to create or find and solve all types of problems. So, yeah, I think this it could be a whole new type of job roles being created, a whole new industry. I asked Dr. Crowder what makes IBM invest in quantum work in Singapore. I think that is what Singapore has to, to offer is you know, really the talent and the industrial base who are really looking to explore leveraging quantum computing in you know, the, the vertical areas that we're strong in, you know, healthcare, life sciences, trade, transportation, finance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So those are the skills that we're interested in. Those are the skills we see Singapore building. That's why we're partnering with institutions in Singapore is to take advantage of those skills and help build those skills. What skills does the company seek when it hires? Really good analytic skills, you know, the ability to think creatively. And then, you know, then it comes down to what type of job are we filling, right? So, I mean, obviously there's fundamental skills necessary depending on the job. So if you are, you know, in the application algorithm space, you know, you need to have a very strong background in, in math and, you know, have a background in software coding, typically. Math is usually the harder one, by the way, but the combination of those two are, you know, is, is a very, very strong combination. And then obviously, the more you understand about industry problems, the more valuable the skills are. But that is something that, you know, you can learn through experience. Now, I wish I had paid attention in Matt's class in school. That was Dr. Crowder's dog, who interrupted our quantum universe with these zero-code calls. We hope you have enjoyed this 27th episode of World Talk. Quantum computing seems like a distant reality. But if Jenny AI has taught us anything, it is that today, technology advances at exponential speed. Whether as a business or a worker, taking a peek into the future is always helpful. We'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Paul Griffin, Associate Professor of Information Systems at the Singapore Management University, and Dr. Scott Crowder, Vice President for IBM Quantum Adoption and Business Development. I'm Chris Bu. The producer is Tio Tongkai, and the supervising editor is Ernest Lewis. From us at Work Talk, have a good work week. Send your feedback to podcast.sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or within our Straits Times app. Thanks for listening.